Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then move my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. I'm coming to you straight from the Keep Mississippi beautiful studio. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi minute on Super Talk. With more than 150 of his songs recorded by the biggest stars, this massive hit songwriter's tunes, including singles by Kenny Chesney, with an impeccable reputation in Music City. Let's get it on right now with the fabulous Jim Collins. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's been a while. I want to sort of take my listeners on your journey. You know, all of our songwriter pals have a similar journey, but, you know, it's his own thing. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, East Texas in a little town called Nacogdoches, Texas. I was raised on a dairy farm uh, by my aunt and uncle. My parents divorced when I was seven. And, you know, like a lot of musicians, when they saw the Beatles play for the first time, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And so my dad, um, on my 10th birthday, bought me a guitar. And, uh, that's, and then I just kind of locked myself in my room for about... I don't know, 15 years, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I, you know, and I played in little, uh, played in little bands, uh, you know, I, I played my first professional gig, uh, you know, for, I think I made like 35 bucks, but hey, when you're 12 years old, that's a lot of money, and, and yeah. so I was, tw- when I was 12, I played my first professional gig, and I started playing in bands, doing sorority parties, and, you know, just kind of cover bands, that kind of stuff. And then I got a gig uh, with a band on the road when I was 17, and uh, we toured toured the United States for a couple years, and uh, uh, wound up they uh, when I was about 19, uh, wound up in Houston, and uh, they were going to cut a record. They decided to make a record, and uh, and so they asked me to play bass on this record, and I'd never been in a real recording studio before, and so I started. Uh, I went into the studio and I'm playing on this record and it was a local producer there who had cut like major artists in, the, in you know, in country music mm-hmm. mostly, but uh, they did it all. I mean, I, uh, and he heard me and heard me sing and heard me play and he, he said, uh, asked me if I'd like to be interested in playing on some other records. So here I am, 19 years old, playing gigs at night, but I'm also a, a full-time studio musician during the day. So it was like... Uh, you know, it was like going to school, you know. I mean, it was, uh, I learned so much. Stuff that I'm still using, techniques that I'm still using today. 
so anyway, uh, that's when I started writing songs. Was uh, I, I, at the time, I didn't really, I wasn't love. I was a rock guy, and a, you know, I was I liked jazz and you know that kind of stuff. And and then, but as, as I got to uh, working in the studio, I'd say ninety percent of the sessions I did were all country. And I just kind of fell in love with the discipline it took to play it, the melodies, the lyrics, the stories. And uh, that's when I started writing. And um, I, I recorded a little record back in the 70s. I, you know, showing my age, but I recorded a little record back in the 70s, and it, it kind of caught on regionally and and uh, put a band together and started touring Texas. Uh, did that for, you know, close to, you know, I'd say about 15 years. Right. I love it. We're talking to Jim Collins. Jim, you know, I, I grew up sort of in a similar situation, uh, growing up on farms, small towns, but you're able to, to articulate lyrically to the masses. I mean, what do you think it is about growing up in the elements that you did and that they did that allows you to, to be so worldly? Have you ever thought about that? You know, first of all, my dad was a great storyteller. But I think it, what it was for me is, like I said, I lived out, you know, outside the city limits. I, they, I didn't have any kids my age, you know, that, you know, within miles, you know. And so I was forced to, uh, you know, we didn't have video games and stuff. I mean, I'd get a stick and I'd play Army all day, yeah. you know, but by myself, you know. And, and, uh, and so I think I was kind of forced to use my imagination and... And, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of where it all came from, really. I love We're talking to Jim Collins. The man has written some serious hits. Great spirited guy. Uh, we were doing the artist thing together for a while in, uh, in Nashville. And uh, I always love coming across you, Jim. Give me the lowdown of what, you know, I'm trying to let our listeners into the, into what happens in Music City and, and, you know, all the stuff before the hits are written, you're going into a publisher, meet with a publisher and you're all this, I mean, like sort of, uh, prophesize sort of, uh, how it's going to go down. Just take everybody through what you're about to do. Oh, well, I'm, I'm actually just going into he, uh, this buddy of mine, he's, he just uh, was put in charge of another of a of a really big company, and they just he's just going to give me a tour of this new building. That's all I'm doing oh, today. Yeah. But, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it happened for me. Uh, uh, when I was I was playing a show. Let me tell you how I got to Nashville. Yeah, uh, I had my own band, and we were very successful down in Texas, and probably the most successful act in Texas at the time. And I did a show. We were actually in Louisiana with the group Shenandoah. Are you familiar with the group of Shenandoah? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, I decided that night, for whatever reason, to play just all my own songs. Um, and so after the show was over, they sent me a note and asked they wanted to talk to me, the guys in Shenandoah. And so I went up on their tour bus, and they asked me whose songs those were. And I said, well, they're mine. And he said, you wrote all those songs by yourself? And I said, yeah. He said, son, you need to move to Nashville. And I said, well, I'm making good money now. If I go to Nashville, I'll starve to death because, you know, and I was, you know, probably right about that. But uh, anyway, they said, look, I don't care what you do. Your songs are really good. You need to move to Nashville. If that means singing demos for, you know, 50 bucks a song or whatever, you know, and uh, to make a living. And so, I don't know, they got me thinking about it, and I talked about talked to my wife about it and she 
and her comment was like, I don't want us to be married 10 years down the road and you always wonder if you could have made it at the highest level. Right. And so I, that's all I needed to hear. So I, 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 I told the guys in the band, you know, I gave them some notice and, and then I left and moved to Nashville and, uh, I wasn't in town two days and I was in a, I had heard these bunch of songwriters hung out at this particular, it was at Longhorn Steakhouse. Oh, and, yeah. And they'd hang out. They, there was a bar in there and they would hang out after they got through writing. And so I was, I thought I'd just go up there and just try to meet people and connect. And I was sitting there and I heard these two songwriters talking. And uh, one of them saying, hey, man, our demo singer has got sick and he's going to have to cancel. Oh, come we on. Got the studio. You know, he said, we got the studio booked. You know, what are we going to do? Just cancel the session? And I just turned to him. I didn't know who they were. I just said, I'll, I'll sing it for you. <laughs> now, I had been in town two days. And uh, they said, oh, you're a singer? And I said, yeah, I'm from Texas. And, and so they said, well, what do we got to lose? And so they, I went and sang it for them. And it turned out it was Aaron Barker who had written a bunch of hits for George Strait. And, oh, that's crazy. I know. And then he started telling his friends. And within a week or so, I was getting calls to sing demos for other people. And before you know it, I was singing eight to ten demos a day. And wow. uh, it was the hardest job I ever had. But, you know, but it kept it kept the lights on and kept me in town. And so from that, um, I got hired to sing a demo for Guy Clark, the legendary Texas yeah. songwriter, you know, Guy Clark. And uh, Guy's kind of a wild child, or was a wild child. He's passed on now. But uh, And so I'm in there. And matter of fact, he... He said he wouldn't let me sing his songs unless I would drink with him. And so he had a bottle of Crown, you know, in the in the studio, and we sat there and we drank Crown Royal till till uh, I started slurring my words like he does, and and uh, and so he said, "Okay, you're ready, go sing." I was about I was about half uh, lit, you know, and yeah. I'm in there singing his songs, and the head of EMI comes walking down to check on Guy because Guy's been known to do crazy things. Yeah. And he heard me sing. And after I got out of the studio, he said, man, I love your voice. He said, can you write, can you write songs? Oh, yeah, And baby. I said, uh, yes, sir, I can. And, and Guy Clark uh, handed me his guitar and said, play him something. So I played him two songs, and they signed me the next day. <laughs> so within, within a month after I got to town, I was, I was a professional songwriter. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I know, I know. It usually, I mean, it took Phil Vassar 10 years. I know, you know I know. Yeah. I've had Phil on this show, and it's still he's. I could see him walking right through, uh, pacing his floor right now, getting to his piano, pacing a little bit. <laughs> he's such a good guy. Well, and his, I was at. We were at the same publisher. He was at EMI also. And right. I, and his first session, you know, it took him like ten years to get a, a publishing deal. But his first session he ever did, first demo session he ever did, he recorded four songs, and all four of them went number one. So. Yeah, that's not a bad start. I don't really feel that sorry for him. No, I don't feel sorry for him at all. We're with Jim Collins rolling down a Nashville highway via Mississippi, rocking with you in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. News Mississippi, on air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app. You can select the breaking news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. That's News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Oh yeah, we're rolling in a Mississippi Minute from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. I'm Steve Azar. I'm with Jim Collins. He's uh, rocking down Music City's on the way to, to look at a building with his buddy, publisher. <laughs> and uh, and that's a lot life life in the uh, in the world of a, of an incredible hit songwriter. He deserves sometimes not to have to go in and grab his guitar and just get to look around a little bit. Jim, t- let's talk Texas for a second. You're talking jazz and you're talking rock. For me, it was more jazz, a decent amount of rock and blues because of where I grew up, and uh, and eventually. It was it was a big transition for me, and it took me ten years uh, to transition and figure out how I could remain honest and keep home at heart and close in my writing. And then, and that because it it just had a hold on me. The Delta had this; it still does, and and more than ever it does. And now I'm writing songs about every every city, and <laughs> I mean like, I've gone overboard. But let's talk Texas because similar you know the mississippi delta had a strong connection with the stevie rays and 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 jimmy vaughn and anybody from texas that had anything to do with blues the, there was a direct line to albert king and bb and all the guys and and such a wonderful mutual respect texas is, you're talking about being the best band or the hottest band in texas that's saying something and now how texas sort of gets you ready and and finally, so many great musicians are, are making their way into Nashville and, and breaking it wide open. You know, our buddy Radney did it and you did it. Um, uh, Pat did it, you know, with Green. And so let's don't you think it prepared you? So when you got to Music City, your 10 years or 15 years was always already put in on a at, at worst, a triple A ball club. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there, it's you know that's the thing about some of the young uh, artists that I'm working with now. I mean, they, you know, they never really had to pay any dues. They, you know, they go on a talent show on television and they think they're ready, mm-hmm. or they, uh, you know, sing a couple karaoke nights and they're ready to be an artist in Nashville. And that and they just never had to do what you know what we had to do. We had to tour. We had to we had to play in front of every kind of audience you can think of. You know. We play bars, play clubs when there's nobody in there, or we we had to play, you know, huge, you know, festivals and stuff. And Texas is tough, man. I mean, you don't you don't mess, you know, you know the famous thing they say there is shut up and sing. You know, they don't want you. They don't like even my band. We never even stopped. We would we hit that first note. We just go from song to song. And I might say, you know, hello, welcome, you know, and that's about it. You know, tip your bartenders. That's about it. You know, but. Uh, but uh, it was great, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I grew up playing every kind of music, and I've always, luckily, that, I think that's why I've been able to stick around in Nashville for as long. This is 24 years for me yeah. in Nashville. But, yeah. But, uh, you know, I always loved every kind of music that came out, and so as country music has evolved, um, I haven't. it hasn't freaked me out. You know, I've got buddies that, you know, when... Florida George Line came out, or Sam Hunt. They're all like, "Well, that's not country," and I'm going, "Well, it is now," you know. And, <laughs> and I always had this thing, like, "Well, I just want to know how they did it," you know. And and so I wanted to learn it, you know. And so that keeping an open mind is important. And I think that's a lot of that came from Texas. Um, the crowds there, they're, they're they're the best fans in the world. Uh, but you know, like you get somebody like Pat, for instance. You're talking about Pat Green. I, did a show with him in Chattanooga, and he was freaking great, man. Yeah. He was so good, and uh, you know, you can understand why it was this big. But then 
when he moved to Nashville, all of a sudden Texas is like, oh, he's sold out. You know, he's he's yeah. trying to do because they want him. They they're very uh, uh, possessive. They right. want to, right. yeah, they want to keep their guys in Texas. Right. Well, uh, and so, and then they kind of look down on them if they want to try to do more, you know. Right, right. I don't know. I guess George Strait's really the only one that kind of broke through all that. But uh, but uh, there's still some of that. And there's a, you know, they, but, you know, I grew up, you were talking about the blue stuff, you know. I, I ran sound for Freddie King one time, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, how, how can you not be influenced by all the Texas stuff? You know, there were some great blues bands in Texas. You know, Mississippi's kind of the same way. My daughter lives in Mississippi. Where is she? So, she's in Olive Branch. Oh, uh, yeah. Right out there. Yeah, she works in Memphis, but she lives in So we're doing this songwriter series. I've already had Anthony Smith, James House is coming, Carrie Kurt Phillips is coming uh, in, a cup, in, a, in a month. Uh, I've had Wynn, I, Varble, I've had Mark Allen, and Radney's coming. So i got to get you to come because one of the towns we've just brought, uh, that we're bringing this series into is uh, in Hernando. So it's right there by Olive Branch. And then I'll route you, I'll route you to Oxford, and then I'll get you to my hometown. So we got to do that. Okay. Uh, i tell you, my, I, I met Elvis Presley in Jackson, Mississippi. You, you really did? Are you talking about somebody that said he was Elvis? <laughs> no, I, I actually met Elvis three months before he died. It was about three wow. months before he died. Wow. Yeah. Was that? I was playing. Uh, I was playing in a like a funk band, you know, uh, uh, and we were uh, we were staying at the Ramada Inn downtown. Oh no, it was Holiday Inn downtown. Big. It was the biggest hotel there, and uh, I noted there. Was, I walked, got on the elevator, and some guys got on the elevator with guitars. And it turned, and I we got to talking, and it turned out it was Elvis's band, and he was performing there, and, yeah. and uh, they got I got I got tickets and got to meet Elvis, and it was, you know, so. Well, what was that like, you know, for you? Uh, it was kind of weird, you know. He he was out of shape, and he, you know, he, you know, it was. I didn't get to see the young, you know, right. hunk, hunk of love, burning love, you know, but <laughs> but uh, it was it was uh, you know, hey, it was Elvis, you know, what can I, you know. Yeah. I couldn't help but be a little bit impressed with that, you know. And but he's, you know, he was nice. The guys in the band were ex- very nice, you know. So love it. Well, you know, we got the, you know, Tony Brown played for him. Obviously, uh, Norbert Putnam, and and I, I did my last record with David Briggs and brought him down to the Delta. So just the stories that they tell, uh, a lot of fun. I mean, just uh, uh, some of them we can't talk about on the radio, but but I crack up. You know, David, 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 and Norbert are pretty funny guys, man. Damn. Dudmore, the steel guitar player, yeah. had a great Elvis story. He was a, they were uh, get they were going to play, and they said Elvis would just kind of he'd book the session, the studio all day, and then he'd just kind of show up when he showed up, and then you'd, all the musicians just kind of had to hang around, and right. they had this uh, they had this deli plate set up with you know with the uh, ham sandwiches, whatever the anything they wanted, and a bunch of the music mafia guys were all sat, hanging around waiting on Elvis to get there, and. So Dan went over and made him a sandwich, and at the end of the bo- uh, the table, there was a, a big jar of pickles like they have in the movie theaters, those great big pickles. And, uh, and he went to reach for that pickle, one of the music mafia guys grabbed him. He goes, hey, those are the king's pickles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I always thought that was... Well, I would have rather it been pickles made from cucumbers than pickled pig's feet, because I won't touch them. Yeah. <laughs> 
anything. <laughs> hey, it reminds me of this, uh, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I'm going to say it because this is one of the funny stories. My brother had these drive-through convenience stores when I was a kid, right? You drove through and you got your beer, you got your groceries, all that. Well, he had this jar of pig's feet that had been there for years and no, I vowed never to open that jar, you know, because it scared me a little bit. <laughs> and so, you know, oh, yeah, right. formaldehyde is pink, you know, like the color of, my, of methylate. <laughs> and so, so I'm sitting there and I'm going like, so one day, finally, somebody comes in and, he, and my buddy Lance is there and uh, they they ask him for to get a Pickles Bigfoot. And he said, you see that guy right there? He'll help you. So I'm standing right, I'm standing right in front of the jar. And so they go, we'd like one of those pickled pig's feet. And all I could say was, we're out. And they, they looked at this jar and they, and they said, okay. And they agree. They drove off and Lance tells the story. So Lance wouldn't touch it. And when he got, when he got married, I went and I, and I, I, I sucked it up and I went to a convenience store. I got one out with some tongs. I stayed as far away as I could, stuck in a baggie and I shoved it up in his dash from his, you know, with the cars decked out, you know, it's got cans and, and it's just decked, you know, first, you know, just married. And all of a sudden he goes, he goes, uh, what's that smell? What that? And he goes, he's freaking out. And he goes, I think that that that's a pickles pig foot. You know, he's going crazy. So then a year later on his anniversary, I was in Nashville. I was newly there and I, I had to do something to smile about because I was getting pounded. And I sent him one. I put perfume in a, I put it in a box and I sprayed it with perfume and I put it in a box and I mailed it to him for his anniversary present. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that made me, the pickles made me think of it. But uh, we're at Jim Collins. I've lost my mind. As he's rolling down a Nashville highway, Jim, we're the birthplace of American music. Mississippi uh, has got such a an incredible history. So you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Mac McAnally, our pal, or Albert King? I say Mac McAnally. I just love Mac McAnally. Oh, he's so good. That's what we got. We were Jim Collins. He's written more hits than we uh, know what to do with. He's a great guy. We're keeping Mississippi beautiful right here on In the Mississippi Minute. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, me and my lady had our first big fight, so I drove around till I saw the neon lights of a corner bar. We're keeping Mississippi beautiful right here 
On In a Mississippi Minute, I'm Steve Azar. I'm with Jim Collins. I've lost my mind. And that's what happens when you get with uh, people you respect and great songwriters. Jim, let's talk about your first cut versus your first hit, or were they the same? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I think... Well, my first major cut was my first single. So um, I, that was John Michael Montgomery, a song called uh, Love Working On You. And um, it's funny how that happened. You know, I got, you and I both had record deals as artists when we got to town. Right. And uh, I uh, I had just lost my record deal. I was, I had, uh, I could never get on the same page with the, my label. They they, you know, in those days, they didn't really kind of want the artists to be the writers. They wanted the, you know, the hit songwriters to write the songs, and the artists just shut up and sang, you know, and yeah. that's kind of the way it was. And and so, uh, but I wasn't, I didn't love the songs they were sending me, to, you know, for to, for me to record. And so we we kind of were butting heads a little bit about the direction they wanted me to go in because. You know, I'd been successful down in Texas for years doing a certain kind of thing, and then they wanted to that change me, you know. And so, anyway, so I lost my record deal, and uh, I, I thought, well, I don't know what to do now. And it was devastating, man. I mean, you know, you're you're a farmer all your life, and then all of a sudden they say, well, no, you're not. You know, you're not. You know, you're not an yeah. artist anymore. Yeah. And so I was devastated. And so uh, my phone rang, and it was Craig Wiseman, who is probably the greatest. Nashville songwriter going. I mean, certainly the most successful. And uh, he called me up and he said, "Man, I heard you lost your record deal." And I said, uh, "Yeah, man." And he, he said, uh, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I guess I'll put my band together and play those honky tonks as long as they'll let me do it, you know." And, and so he said, "Man, I really wish you'd think about that." He says, "You know, I write with a lot of artists and a lot of, you know." And he said, "Whether you realize it or not, you're a songwriter." And he said, "Man, I, he said you're you're a lot better songwriter than than you even give your credit give yourself credit for." And so, so he said, "Why don't you just stick around here with me and write with you know you, just, you know me and Bob DePiro and a few others?" He said, "Let's just see what happens." And within I'm not kidding, man. Within two weeks, Craig and I wrote a song and and John Michael cut it and it was a top ten top ten wow. single, you know. So. I mean, uh, it was just meant to be, you know. I mean, this town, you know, I had Buddy tell me one time, says, sometimes you take what this town, you know, you think you come here for one thing, but the town offers you something else. And he said, you should, you know, you take it. So unlike a lot of uh, artists, you know, a lot of artists, when they lose a record deal or something like that, you know, they, they can't let that go. Right. Uh, they just can't. they got to keep wanting to do that. And, and so... When I lost my record deal, I said, okay, turn the page, what's next? And so that was kind of my attitude. And so um, I just said, okay, if I'm going to be a songwriter, I'm going to be a good one. And I, want, and I just kind of, you know, kept my head down and, and learned, tried to learn how to craft a song, do it the right way. And so right. I was lucky, uh, you know, from singing demos with people, I, you know, I met a lot of really great songwriters and we became friends, and and I learned from everybody that I wrote with, uh, and and then I'm still learning today, man. I mean, I'm working with, you know, twenty year olds now that don't even know who Garth Brooks is, and and uh, wow. you know they, but you if you respect them and give them a chance, they can teach you things, you know. And so, and I, I it, songwriting is a thing that you just never, you never master. It's just something you're constantly working for, you know. I mean, I wrote the good stuff, which you know was. 
Come on. You know, the song of the year and all this kind of stuff. And I'm really proud of that. It was the hardest song I ever had to write. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, you know, you, you, and I had, it took me a long time to get to a place where I could write a song like that. Right. right. You know, and so, uh, it's just a journey, you know. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a. Uh, I mean, I love it, you know. I don't. I don't know what you know. I don't guess I'll ever retire. I guess I'll always, you know, want to do it. At some point, they'll move on from, you know. It's a it's a young man's game, and, and I'm not getting any younger. But but um, you know, uh, at some point, you just uh, you know. But I guess I'll always do it. I'm a lifer. <laughs> I, I, yeah, me too. And I I don't know if if guys like I mean. I can't imagine the word retiring from getting to to be able to, you know, to to put your emotions and your feelings on paper and 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 turn them into song. It's just it's it's therapy. I mean, even when things are going yeah, bad, it's yeah. therapy. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're a unique group of people, <laughs> so we we need all the therapy we can get. But hey, so I want to talk about the good, good stuff, but also, you know, you talk about why do you think back. Now, you know, now there's they got to do these 360 deals. They need people, you know, even if you can't write, they want you writing with somebody that can write so they can make a bigger piece of the pie of the record labels because of the streaming. We know the game now. But when we were doing it, what, what do you think? Because we I heard it so much. I went through it because I wanted to write everything I did or co-write everything I did because that's what I did, just like you. What do you think made it so complicated for them for regular people to see that there's actually artists that can write their own stuff, that that honesty is more viable and important for certain artists than not. Why was it so complicated? Well, I just think it's it's just, and, 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 I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but some of it is laziness. Uh, they get used to doing it a certain way. And that's the way it's worked for them in the past. And, yeah. you know, it's like nowadays, you know, you got like uh, 10 songwriters in town that are basically getting all the cuts, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, the rest of us are fighting for, you know, one or two cuts on a record, you know. Uh, but, you know, we got one, uh, and he's a really good friend of mine, and he's a really good songwriter, but uh, he just had his 50th number one song. Oh, you Moses. know. I know, but but I know, and it's it, good to be him, that's for sure. Right. But, but you know, a lot of that is just you know, uh, they just go, hey, uh, we need we need another song for Blake Shelton. And they go, well, call you know, and uh, <laughs> and that, and I've actually seen that happen. I was I was in a doing a demo session over at Ocean Way one day, and Blake Shelton was in a studio next to me, and uh, the producer walked out and says, man, we still need a couple songs, and he said, and uh, his assistant said. Uh, well, I'll go back to the office and see what's been pitched to us. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. He got on the phone to one of the hot writers in town and said, send me two songs. And they sent them both, and he cut both of them. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's just uh, it's just a different, you know, yeah. it's just a different time. And, and uh, you know, I, you know, used to, you know, you and I might write more from inspiration, and, and I still do, but but uh, these days it's I'm kind of like these artists will come in the room and, and they'll say, "Okay, I need an up-tempo song that's got the, you know, a drum loop on it." And and my my job basically is to build them a cabinet. You know, how tall you want it, how wide, you know. And that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like sometimes. But wow. but luckily, you know, there's still enough times during a, you know, that I'll get to sit down and actually write a, a real song with, from the heart. And you know, but you have to be able to kind of, you know, I'm a 
I'm a professional songwriter. My job is to write songs for the that the, the artists want to want to record. And so, uh, you know, uh, and but you know, luckily there's still enough of those pure moments of you know writing from for the art for the love of it that you know that I can keep doing it. You know, for every for every one of those you know customized you know kind of songs that I have to write there's you know I, I still get a chance to write some I'm writing some really good songs right now I'm really proud of you know so yeah. you know it's just a different world now since you know since it's gone to streaming and and uh, Spotify and Pan, you know, all those places who are who are really ripping us off big yeah. time yeah uh, um, you know uh, the, the money's not you know we when I was you know Back when I first started, if you got on a platinum album, that's a, even if you weren't on a on the radio, if you were the tenth cut on the record, well, that was enough money to you made enough money to stay in town for another year, and so uh, exactly you you remained in the game with your publishers, you were paying them. I mean, it was a no brainer, but that's all gone. You know, it's all gone. So now, yeah. So now, if, if everybody's trying to write a single, so I don't think anybody's really trying to write the good stuff right now. They're right. trying to, or. You know, I hope you dance or something like that. They're trying to write, you know, that up-tempo, radio-friendly, uh, hooky little single. And, uh, you know, because that's where the money is. If you're not on the radio, you're not, you know, you're not uh, you're not making the kind of money that they used to make off of sales. You know, I tell I tell the kids these days, I tell them, tell them about the good old days when we actually sold records, you know. <laughs> you know, well, they just can't <laughs> believe it, you know. <laughs> hey, are we talking to Jim Collins? I'm coming to you. Straight from the Keep Mississippi beautiful studio. I'm Steve Azar. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Super Talk. He said, When you get home, she'll start to cry. When she says, I'm sorry, say so am I. But look into those eyes. I got this life laying down. I'm still trying to find my way. It was all the way back in 1989. My wife and I newly married, and I was working on making my mark on the music business. We wanted to build a house. There was only one bank that helped us do that. And while we were trying to find our way around, our friends at Guarantee Bank started on the journey with us and have been there ever since. They were always my connection back home when we lived in Music City. They believed in me. So when you need a financial institution to believe in you, give my family at Guarantee Bank a chance. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products, only expected at much larger institutions. They are proud to be your local big-time bank. Please visit one of their 17 locations and tell them Steve Azar sent you. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, all right, all right. Steve Azar coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm with Jim Collins. Jim, let's talk the good stuff. I mean, we can talk about a lot of your hits, but, but you know, the inspiration behind it, the, what was it like when you wrote it and when you did it? Did you know? Well, um, I actually... 
had the idea the day before. I, I had an idea called the good stuff, and the original idea. I was thinking about my wife and I. You know, my, I've been married 37 years, but I was thinking about when we first got married, and you know, we we didn't have anything. We had a one bedroom apartment, hardly any furniture. And, you know, we'd eat pizza on the floor. I mean, we were as happy as we could be. You know, I felt rich. You know, and even though. We were, I, you know, I never realized how poor I was till I got a little money in my pocket, <laughs> and that's the truth. I, I just thought, thought about that. That's the good stuff, you know. Just looking back on it, and so, and then I went in the next day to write it, and uh, there was a there was a security guard there uh, at the building. His name is Rusty Martin, and uh, he had uh, shaved all his hair off. He looked like Mister Clean, and I, I made a little joke about it, and I, I you know, about his haircut and. And then I found out that he had lost his wife to cancer, and she had lost her hair in a chemo, and you know the story. He he shaved his head to, in support right. of her, and we started talking, and um, he was just telling all these stories about their beautiful life together, and he focused on the positive things, and and uh, and then he said something to me I'll never forget, and he said he said, uh, you know, Jim, she taught me as much about dying as she did living and and all of a sudden the, the song took on a whole nother a whole nother uh, thing you know and uh so i went up uh when uh, and told my co-writer the story and uh and so we sat down and we started writing about ten thirty. we didn't even stop for lunch we wrote and they had to let us out of the building we, we left there at seven thirty that night Wow. Uh, we wrote the whole song, but uh, w- without a break, we didn't stop for lunch. <laughs> and uh, I was shaking. And I remember we were, you know, there was lines in there, you know, uh, uh, when the cancer took her from me, you know, there's a line in the song uh, that says that. He said, spent five years in the bar when the cancer took her from me. And I was thinking, nobody's going to cut this song. But it was so honest and so real yeah. that it just seemed to be what it it should be and so i was worried about that one line and then uh turn it turn the song in we demoed it on a saturday and on monday i took it into uh, my publisher called rusty in the the, the security guy and wow. let him hear it i wanted wow. him to hear the song and uh, he had tears running down his face well turns out uh, Kenny Chesney knew, knew him. You know, he was the security guard at the building, the record label. Yeah, he was the most popular guy. He knew everybody. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he knew everybody, and and so and so Kenny knew him too. And then, matter of fact, if you look on the if you look on the liner notes and the album, he dedicated it to Rusty Martin. Wow. So we kind of let Rusty be a part of it, meaning that you know, uh, like we, I go into to the to write with somebody and. Rusty'd be there. Hey man, we got thirty ads this week, and so many, you know, conversions. I mean, he was so when it went number one, they uh, we gave him a, a a number one plaque also. Aww. And I wrote, I had written out the song. In those days, I wrote on a legal pad. You know, yeah. I wrote the lyrics out by hand, and I gave him the original lyrics. And it's in the frame with the with his, you know, with his platinum album and. Oh, but it's, it's, it was a it was a very cool experience and very fulfilling. Uh, he was such a great guy, and uh, and so those that's where the best songs come from. It was a it was a real song about real things, and luckily the audience loved it. And Kenny did a great job on it. And you know I've I've had some big hits on Kenny. You know, and I'm just really proud of that song and proud to be part of Kenny's career. I've, 
you know, I wrote She Thinks My Tractor Sexy, which was kind of the one that launched him into the yeah. next uh, level, you know, and then, and then, you know, I've had a couple since then, but be a part of somebody's career like Kenny and, and have, he's, he comes from such a song place. He's a, he's a song guy. And he sounds like himself. Here's what I've always felt like you were. Mark Allen Springer ran the first uh, 400, and then he handed the baton off to you, <laughs> and then you ran it with Chesney. I love Mark Allen. He's he's a. Uh, you talking about a writing from an honest place? He's oh, always yeah. writing from an honest place. He's he's as good as they get, and and uh, Kenny's just a great son. You know, if if he's a great writer himself, and so, but he he knows he's all about his fans. I mean, if he uh, yeah. if I have a better song than he has, he'll cut mine because he wants his, he wants his, the best songs for his fans. He keeps ego out of it, right? And he just you know he just he's just a great you know he's what you're supposed to be. Well, that's an art in itself. I mean, you got to be able to do that because to, to be able to sing a song you don't write and to make it your own. I can't thank you enough for taking an entire Mississippi minute with me. Blessings. I'll see you soon. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank, with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.